As notified by Alan Kelly, over the last two to three years we've witnessed in the UK a really sharp increase in the number of concerns voiced about laddism, laddish or lad cultures in higher education. And we're not going to say much about this because it's already been covered really well. But it's been evident in media reports such as these where they've talked about lad culture becoming a national issue and <laughs> related to Unilad and, and so on. Um, but what I think is quite interesting as somebody who's come from secondary school research principally is while concerns about laddism in higher education are now fairly common in the UK press, a decade ago it was concerns about laddism in secondary schools that were common and we got reports such as these from um, senior politicians and so on about the effects of lad culture in secondary schools. So you'll, you'll note that although both the sets of quotes that I've uh, given you express concerns about laddism in education, the emphasis of the concerns differ somewhat. So in relation to higher education, the concerns are largely about sexism, drinking, misogyny, and in some cases, as we've heard, rape-supportive cultures. They're not necessarily about teaching and learning per se, although clearly they're going to have impacts on teaching and learning in higher education as well. The concerns about secondary schooling, on the other hand, were largely about laddism affecting boys' learning and boys' examination results, and to some degree about girls' learning and girls' results as well, but far less. The emphasis was far much more on boys. So this raises questions for, for us about the nature of the term laddism, how it's used, and variations over time and context. And we're not going to go into depth in our presentation about that, but hopefully we've got time to return to it and it might be one of the discussion topics later that we'll see. But what we'll do in this presentation is to explore how higher education students perceive and understand laddism. And in relating to the differences I've just emphasised, what we want to do is to do this in relation to uh, what might broadly be termed the social aspects of university life, but also to the teaching and learning aspects, uh, teaching and learning context as well. So we'll pick up on concerns about laddism, both in relation to social spheres and academic spheres, although we recognise that they're not distinct, you know, there's clearly a lot of overlap. So our overall aim in this presentation is to provide insights into how laddism is understood, perpetuated, legitimated and challenged as well among undergraduates in two British universities. And we'll explore the perceived benefits of subscribing to laddish masculinities and also the costs of laddishness uh, for students both in social spheres and in teaching and learning environments. And we'll discuss how um, the ways that laddism can be problematic for men and women and explore the degrees to which laddism might be regarded as existing on a continuum of potential masculinity and uh, masculine subject positioning. And as the previous speakers suggested, we're not suggesting that laddism is something that can only be performed by men. We recognise that women can also perform laddism. But we're in this, but it's read differently when it's performed by women, and we're focusing on this talk on um, laddishness performed by men. So, to give you an overview, we're going to switch between us, and um, basically, Steve will move on now to briefly outline the two research projects that we draw on in this presentation. Then we'll go on to outline how laddism is perceived in these two in these two research projects. And then we'll give some, and we're going to give a few of the key findings from the project before providing a bit of a summary and some points for consideration, and recognising that there are actually many more questions than there are answers around this topic still. So, over to Steve. <coughs> okay, good afternoon, everybody. Um, so, 
Our um, paper draws basically on two pieces of research. Uh, the first is research which I undertook as a callow youth back between 2006 and 2004 uh, as part of my PhD. And I became quite interested in laddishness in higher education based primarily on doing the work as a master's student on um, boys under achievement and you know the possibility of laddishness was involved there. But also, I think, thinking back to my own time as an undergraduate back in the dim and distant 1980s, when um, there was something akin to laddishness occurring in my college at a, a university, which shall remain nameless. Um, and really, I, after walking around the campus in my 30s, I thought, actually, not a lot's changed, but I think also it seems to be more up there, it seems to be more out there and in your face. So that set me off thinking about this issue, and I started to do a piece of research um, at a plate glass, which is a 1960s collegiate university in England, and it was a two-phase piece of research. The first was questionnaires. Um, I sent out 1,380, and I got back 180, which maybe says something. Uh, and then I, from the questionnaires, I took uh, 19 people agreed to be interviewed, so I interviewed those. I also interviewed three people who had taken part in um, pilot studies, and also two people who worked within the, the student union at the time who had um, responsibility for working with sports. So they were recommended to me as somebody who could tell me something about um, sports teams, as that was a thing that was emerging in my interview data. These samples were predominantly um, white, predominantly middle class, which is basically the majority of the intake of the inst that institution at the time. And the focus primarily was on student identifications, laddishness, and student behaviours, although I also did some research into whether or not laddishness impacts on academic study. Okay, that question was then we picked up the latter, the question of academic uh, laddishness and academic um, behaviours in some research that Carolyn led on, I did some of the, um, the data collection for, and Lucy Pollard as well from the University of Greenwich. And that should say a post-1994 university, not post-1992, is obviously having a good day when I did that, in southern England. And basically this was a three-phase uh, piece of uh, data collection that we did questionnaires with all sports science students in that um, university. Um, I observed six two-hour lectures which was quite interesting not knowing anything about sport whatsoever. It was very interesting to see both the lectures and also some of the behaviours that were going on and we also between us interviewed 33 students and five members of staff. Almost all of the interviews in that, um, in that institution self-identified as working class and 83% <coughs> of sports science students are male, so it's quite a male-dominated area. Um, and despite differences in the two studies in terms of foci, in terms of the institutions and in terms of the demographics, and even given that they were a decade apart, uh, there were a lot of similarities and continuities in how undergraduate cultures are conceptualised. And what I've done on this slide is I've basically picked out two um, <coughs> very illustrative findings from both of the studies, and I'll give you a second to read that so I can get my head together. 
So hopefully, as you can see, a number of continuities between what I found between 2002-2004 and what we found between 2011-2013. Undergrad, I mean, this is basically stuff that you've already heard this morning, but undergraduate laddishness was characterised by heavy drinking, interest in sport, being part of the crowd, heterosexual posturing, score, scoring with women, I'll just make sure I scare quote that one, and espousing cavalier attitudes to academic study. And you know, these share a lot of parallels with uh, the Phipps and Young's work, and also with work that had been done way back in the 1990s by um, the likes of Andrew Flintoff and Skelton, looking at cultures of um, laddishness within PE teacher trainees. Uh, 1993, both those papers. Brendan Goff also did some work at the turn of the century. Very, very similar sort of things coming through about um, how laddishness um, manifests itself in higher education. So, overview of the findings from the earlier study. Um, I think the key finding was, was pretty much that laddishness was what um, Connell would call culturally authoritative. So it's basically something that sets a template uh, for how masculinity is either performed or defined in higher education. And I thought, right, we're onto a winner there. However, um, when I actually looked at the questionnaire data and I had a question, are you one of the lads? And I also asked that question twice just to make sure nobody was asleep on the job. <laughs> Only one third of questionnaire um, respondents self-identified as lads. Now, given that I was in a PhD situation and thought, right, that's basically my PhD out the window. Um, then I thought, no, that's a finding in, in and of itself. Okay. And when I moved into the interview, into, in, that again, sorry, when I moved into the interviewing stage, what that revealed was very complex, very shifting, very contradictory um, self-identifications by um, lads uh, or non-lads, and often there was no real correspondence between how somebody had identified themselves in the questionnaire, are you one of the lads? And then on further probing, whether or not in interview, they decided that they were actually wanting to be seen to be lads. And another key finding, which I think maybe on the next slide, is that, as in other research, almost invariably, everybody in the interviews, when I said, okay, so who is more likely to be one of the lads? Rugby players, football players, male rugby teams, male uh, football teams. And they were seen to be um, the people that were, as it were, standard bearers of laddish masculinity. But also another interesting, in, interesting finding was that there was a, almost a blanket refusal of people in my um, interview data, a uh, blanket refusal to actually um, validate that form of laddishness. Okay, um, so briefly. Laddishness acted quite influentially on, these are three of the key sort of areas, although there were other ones, but generally during the transition to HE. Um, Freshers Week, you've already heard about the transition. There was an espoused need um, to, I suppose, use laddishness to fit into what these gentlemen thought was a masculine hierarchy. Or to put it another way, and I think one of my respondents said this, to prove that you are, scare quotes, normal. Okay. Um, boys' nights out, um, you've heard a lot about that, but you know, boys' nights out, laddishness and alcohol mutually reinforcing one another, and also 
as I've said, in male sports teams where the, the identifications were definitely um, real or prop lads. These are terms used by my respondents. And a term by Mickey there, who actually was a self-identified lad in his questionnaire and then spoke most of his interviewing, basically detracting laddishness, said this about uh, male, male football teams. <coughs> So, um, it needs to be made clear that, interestingly, even though there was some antipathy towards laddishness, the majority of my interviewees did actually engage with laddishness um, in quite, you know, quite often, in, in quite positive ways. But they did so in certain different ways. So, firstly, um, their identifications as lads, they didn't want to actually identify as lads, but they were quite happy to dip into laddishness as and when the moment suited or when they felt compelled to do so. And this quote from Alex basically says that, that he actually describes that as a front or a persona, that it's something that he puts on, although he pulls himself away from it when challenged with things like, you know, drunkenness, sexual harassment, blah, blah, blah. And the majority of the people I spoke to actually were doing that. Secondly, as discussed, and this is quite surprising, is that those that actually epitomise laddishness, the football players, the rugby players, and to a lesser extent, hockey players and the heavy drinkers, actually are positioned as the other. Okay, that even though um, the young men in my um, study tried to negotiate a subject position that sat well with laddishness, where you then ask them to talk about the most laddish lads, who you'd expect based on this to be sort of lionised or valorised, Almost invariably, they were othered as superficial, thuggish, pisshead, dickhead, words like that. So there was clear indication that although laddishness was an important influence on these young men's behaviours, to actually be seen as a certain type of lad was problematic for them. And this quote from John hopefully suggests one of the reasons why it's an inauthentic. Um, performance of masculinity, it's basically a fallacious performance of masculinity, and also it resonates with discourses about effortless achievement. Basically, those who have to try so hard have obviously got something to hide. So, my sort of like 100,000 word PhD is now down to a slide. <laughs> um, it led me to think about laddishness in terms of continuum. Okay, and it is a very crude continuum, academic and social. There are obviously ways in between, but Garrett Out is available at Lancaster University Library if you're interested. Um, basically, what the young men seemed to be doing was that they wanted to reconcile the benefits of laddishness, and some of those have been discussed, with the avoidance of being tarred with those sort of sexist, homophobic, bullying um, brushes that the university men's rugby and football teams did. So from this, it seemed that they were practicing lavishness on a continuum, or by degrees. Uh, and the subject positionings that they went for um, existed between two poles of sort of the proper lad at one end, the very extreme sort of lad, and a less defined sort of pole at the other, which seemed to be equated with lightweights, people who can't take their drink, 
uh, people who stick in the library, um, who are very academic and never go out and play. And sorry. So rather than actually stick sticking themselves either at the academic or the social end, most of the young people tended to position themselves to certain degrees towards the laddishness end. But there was a real investment in actually just wanting to be positioned as being ordinary and normal. So, yeah, I'm a bit laddish when, or yeah, but I like to get my head down and do some work. And that sort of resonates with Carolyn's earlier work, where um, some young men in schools are able to actually um, fulfil both academic and social demands of their, uh, of their lives by striking a balance. And this is something to a certain degree we did find in our collaborative study, and I'll pass you over to Carolyn now, who'll tell you something about that. Okay, thanks Steve. So, back to the second project then, which as Steve suggested, was working with sports science students. And of course, sports science is very much associated with laddism. So, what we're talking about today, we're not suggesting is generalisable beyond sports science or beyond this institution. Although, having said that, lots of anecdotal accounts have suggested that actually it's neither specific to the institution nor to sports science. So, there's that to bear in mind. And, as Steve suggested as well, there was substantial over overlap between Steve's earlier PhD project and this one in terms of how laddism was conceptualised and defined and understood. And the same was true in this project as well uh, about the ways that students spoke about degrees of laddism and the more extreme forms being particularly associated again with the rugby and football teams. I think that also came out of the NUS project as well, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so here, though, I want to focus on how laddism was conceptualised in teaching and learning contexts, so somewhat different from the research we've heard about already. So who is laddish in teaching and learning contexts, and how is it manifest? And I'm going to give you a lot of quotes from what the students said, because I think that gives you a better sense of, of, of the depth of the data. So one of the um, first-year students said, there's a big group of them. They turn up about 20 minutes late, and I've complained about them a few times. I sit right at the front of the lecture theatre, so me, for me to be able to hear them like it's affecting my learning, I've had to ask for extra help when I shouldn't have had to, because I would, I would have understood it if they weren't talking, so that's annoying. But that's just boys, isn't it? They just don't seem to really care, they just think it's cool to sit there and talk. Like, the worst thing is a Monday morning, because they'll talk about football, and you don't really want to hear about football when you're in an anatomy class. And students, much like in the secondary school research that I'd done earlier, suggested that laddism in teaching learning contexts included talking and generally being loud, which disrupted their sessions, being a joker, throwing things, arriving late, and being rude and disrespectful to the lecturers. And um, as I said, there's a lot of overlap between how it was present laddism was presented in university contexts and how it was presented in school contexts. And you get, again, an example of uh, Maya, who's a mature student, describing how it disrupted her teaching and learning. We're going to do a double act here. All right. <laughs> I'm going to do it better this time. Okay. And does it actually disrupt the teaching sometimes, do you think? Yeah, it does, yeah, big time. I can hear them laughing and joking behind me, and that alone, that just stops whoever's teaching to tell them to be quiet. Or if, you, or if they catch them throwing something at one of their friends, then that stops the class as well, and it's just little things like that that they do. Or even some of them will make stupid noises, just silly noises that their friend will find funny. Nobody else. And that again would stop the class. And um, does that tend to be blokes? Are women involved? It's the guys. No, the women. There's only some girls that will be there, and you'll hear them laugh, but they're not. There's no girls on our course that act like the boys, where they'll start throwing things and being really disruptive. And in our in our 
in these particular teaching and learning contexts, there was a general consensus, as suggested by Maya, that where there were disruptions in class, these were caused by men, and interestingly, mostly young men, because actually amongst this sample uh, of students, 44, uh, amongst the whole cohort of sports science students, 44% of them were mature students. And while many of the women, especially the mature women and some of the mature men, found such disruptions a problem, um, and were the ones who, and, and it was those who were challenging it, so it's mainly the mature women that would challenge laddishness, although some of the mature men did as well, but it was mainly the women that challenged it. Some of the lads presented it as, you know, it's just a bit of fun, it's just a bit of fun that never goes too far. So one, uh, uh, one who identified as a lad said, oh yeah, well there's always banter between ourselves. I mean, yeah, definitely, like everyone banters, I think, especially when there's a lot of lads together, and then, I don't know, a little bit with the lecturers, but it never oversteps or anything, I wouldn't say. It's just a bit of fun, you know. Without it, lectures would be boring. And interestingly, one of the other students who identified as laddish thought that laddish wasn't a problem because the majority of students are male. <laughs> so, he was asked. Okay, so, do you consider yourself to be a bit of a lad? Yeah, I take part in a lot of sports and enjoy it. See a lot of games, go to the gym. So would you think that there's a lot of laddish behaviour in class at your university? Yeah, sometimes. What sort of things happen? Uh, usually the main ones when one of the lecturers comes in. He's quite funny and he talks about he talks about mostly sexual things. He's quite funny. So yeah, he was having a bit of a laugh while he's teaching as well. Alright, so it's not just the students who can be a bit of a lad, it's also the lecturer. Yeah. Alright then, so you've said there's a fair bit of laddishness in class. Right. Does that disturb other people, do you think? Is that a problem, do you perceive, in class or...? I don't think so, because the majority of people in our class are male. <laughs> so his comments, Patrick's comments, not only do they homogenise all men and assume that all men are laddish and so they like this kind of banter, but they also render women completely invisible. And actually, the challenges to disruptive laddish behaviours in these sessions came principally from women, as I flagged earlier, who... Um, according to the students and lecturers, were anything but invisible when they were challenging to the lads. And I just want to say a little bit about how they challenged and what they did, although I'm aware that we um, need to move on a little bit. So girls and women are frequently discursively positioned as having civilising effects on boys and men. And I now interview data. It was the women that, uh, even though they're only a small minority, remember that 83% of the students were men, who were often presented as moderating the behaviour of the lads. And as Sasha, one of our mature students, reports, that basically it's, it's, the, it's the bottom bit here that's the most important. You know, she talks about how disruptive they were, and then she's saying a couple of times I've had to say, um, to a couple of my, and a couple of my other classmates have had to say, you know, quieten down, I'm here to learn, I pay my fees to come here. If you don't want to learn, come out of the class. And indeed, some of the women students were presented by Hazel, who's another uh, first-year sports science student, as the only one courageous enough to challenge the lads. So again, just to flip to the bottom bit here, uh, given time to press it. Yeah, she talks about the uh, talks about the disruptions, and then she'd say, "I'd say it's most people that find this behaviour disruptive, but there's only a couple of girls at the front who actually have the courage to speak up." and actually tell the laddish boys to be quiet. And this was also conveyed by some of the lecturers. So one of the male lecturers said, 
But one student a couple of years ago, she was great, a very strong lass who stood up, turned around and said, will you shut the fuck up, I'm trying to learn. And they did. Peer pressure gets them a lot more because suddenly they're made to look a fool by a girl and actually they didn't like that. I mean, that could be unpacked in a whole host of ways as well. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't go there right now. So the impact of the lad was felt to be very negative by many of the students. But what about the lads themselves? We've also talked we've also talked about what the impacts are on these laddish lads. And there was a general consensus that disruptive laddish behaviour actually decreased as we went through the three years of university. And students attributed this to two main factors. Firstly, because the first year marks didn't actually count towards their degree, so they thought that they messed around much more in the first year because they could mess around and still get through. But a lot of the students apparently didn't get through. So they seem to suggest that laddish lads actually didn't manage to get through into the second year, or if some got through into the second year, they didn't get beyond that. So actually there's a decrease in behaviour because those students who really messed around actually didn't make it through. And there's a suggestion that actually year one to year two was for weeding out those that are not cut out for university. And again, we could go into a whole kind of analysis of what that <laughs> means. But, um, but that basically they just didn't make it through. As I say, there's a whole big discussion around that, but we've not got time for that. Okay, so Steve's going to kind of summarise and come Yeah, okay. Thanks. Okay, so our projects, uh, like the NUS project, suggest there are reasons to be concerned about laddish cultures. And like the NUS, we're actually up for more research in this sphere. Um, it's worth mentioning that Carolyn and Vanita Sundaram of York have just got funded from the SRHE Good old SRHE. This project. <laughs> um, looking at whether or not lad cultures are a problem in higher education. And they're focusing particularly on the perspectives and responses of HI staff. And if they need an RA, please, they've got my number. Um, so they're commencing on this project now and they're going to look at lad cultures in six. Uh, universities and the objectives of the research are there on the screen. Okay. Um, I think though um, you probably agree that there are still more questions to be asked about laddishness than there are answers and I think also it is important to question what we actually mean by this umbrella term of laddishness or laddism. Um, it's multifaceted so if we are to tackle it how are we going to do this? Um, I think we need to identify its different elements. Uh, I think we need to tackle some forms of laddism in different ways to others. Um, for example, laddism that happens in the social sphere of the student experience. I hate that term, but there you go. And uh, outside of class. Um, my own research suggests that the continuum idea, it permits a wider sort of nuanced analysis of how individuals perform and respond to laddishness. So, with it being broad and flexible, um, um, it shows that laddishness itself is actually a um, position of sort of individualised amalgams of practices, some which resist laddishness and others which, which embrace it. Um, as I said, in both, both of the studies, both my study and our collaborative study, it seemed to be that the majority of male students positioned themselves at the less laddish extreme of this laddish continuum and encouragingly they were critical of their most laddish peers and engaged with the stereotypes assumptions and so-called norms that are influential on their behaviors i've suggested as a potential sort of last minute throw-in social norms marketing approach might have some weight in this um, as you know social norms marketing disrupt 
people's associate, uh, assumptions through researching how something actually is in a particular institution or in a particular um, organisation and then disseminates that findings back to the target audience. So if my, find, sorry, if my findings seem to be that even self-identified lads are at odds with this extreme laddishness and that male peers actually hear that they would rather not be associated with then it could be one way into actually trying to reduce the more negative or harmful behaviours related to laddishness. It could also reinforce the fact to um, the less laddish that there is a fine line between banter and harassment. <coughs> While we're particularly concerned about um, both the implications of laddishness for women students, we're also aware, like the NUS, that male students face a number of issues related to laddish masculinity. Um, so the perceived requirement to act laddishly, excuse me, particularly during the first year as undergraduates um, try to fit in, um, this can promote cavalier attitudes towards drinking, risk taking and sustained discourses of gender that could be potentially damaging to their health, well-being, their attainments and their relationships with others. And I think it would be interesting to see both through Carolyn and Vanita's work and also through work that's coming on from other people, how higher education institutions are responding to laddishness, if at all, and also to see how, how successful the NUS actions to tackle laddism are. Okay, so thank you very much for that and we're happy to take questions.